Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to another episode of My Thoughts on Issues. I'm your host, Jason, of The Decilling Mind. As you can tell by some of the background music and noises, I am on the road yet again. So you'll hear every now and then the, uh, um, the constant beat of the rumble strips and the occasional whoosh of a semi. I know, very romantic. I'm on the road right now uh, going to pick up some family for uh, a birthday party and I am in southwestern Michigan and driving through a blizzard so it's always fun, you know, to uh, be out on the road and uh, enjoying the drive from Chicago to Michigan. Um, So I thought to kind of pass the time away, I'd kind of run through a quick uh, recap of some of my thoughts on political issues, social issues, economic issues, what have you, that have gone on the last month and a half or so since the start of 2022. Now, I must admit, I've been very lax when it comes to uh, pushing out uh, episodes, whether it's politics or sports or any of my other channels that I have on my uh, Dietzillian Mind uh, podcast. Uh, part of it is just because of my work schedule lately, I've been really working hard, um, flying through uh, some of the weather, dealing with delays, dealing with long hours in general, and unfortunately, I've been very lazy on my off days and have found myself distracted by doing other things. Um, than actually keeping up with the the schedule that I have set for myself for my various podcasts and episodes. So hopefully I can start making some headway and get back on track next couple months here so that I can get everything out this year that I want to. Um, But like I said, we'll see. Um, So as you can kind of guess, this will be another uh, road rant episode. As I traverse the weather between Illinois and Michigan to meet up with family and uh, get ready for a birthday party. So I thought I'd just kind of discuss a little bit about what's going on in politics, whether it's political positions when it comes to bills being proposed or social issues or economic issues. And so I thought I'd just kind of start off with the ever-continuing deflection and distraction that is the conservative culture wars that they've decided to drum up. And as most of you have probably been painfully aware of for weeks now, it's the the Eminem and the pantsuit. So I should just start putting a little dash gate at the end of everything. M&M gate and pantsuit gate, or we'll call it mini gate. Because that seems to be the the direction that the conservative party has been going for any length of time that they don't have control over the White House or Congress. So this rendition, 2022 version, is... M&Ms are not sexy enough, courtesy of conservative talking heads like Tucker Carlson and other Republican uh, vapid talking heads, or it's Minnie Mouse wearing a pantsuit is going to be the destruction of Western values and American traditional uh, conservative values, brought to you by Candace Owens, who is always making her political points in pantsuits. The irony is so delicious. And make no mistake, folks, this is the this is conservative talking points 101. Whenever they don't have any kind of power, whether it be control over the White House or control over Congress, a.k.a. one or both of the houses, they immediately go into 
social agreement and this is the culture wars nonsense. They did it in 2021 with Dr. Seuss, with the Washington football team uh, dropping its moniker for that they had for decades, even though it is a bigoted um, moniker. They did it for the Cleveland baseball team, even though that team's mascot and moniker were a bigoted, bigoted uh, moniker and mascot stereotype and caricature. They don't care because, you know, they're bigots themselves. They, they took it upon themselves to make a social war issue over, um, you know, food and how they are, they're labeled like, uh, Uncle Ben's rice or Aunt Jemima's, uh, syrup, maple syrup, uh, complaining that how dare they take aunt and uncle out of it, even though those have been derogatorily used by bigots in the past to uh, undermine and inferiorize black men and women in this country. So, it should be no surprise that they are now turning to candy and fictional animated humanized uh, animals to further push their social agreement that conservative values are being canceled. So they go after Minnie Mouse wearing black and blue pantsuits and they go after M&Ms for not being sexy enough because that's the only thing they have to go on. They don't have any economic policies to go on. They've already got their tax cuts for the rich and for the uh, uh, corporate entities that throw money their way. So they've, they've been successful at that, even though it doesn't do anything to help the average American get by. So now that they're not in power, they have to project and complain about social issues. Even though the four years under Trump, they were projecting that it was Democrats and liberals who were completely vapid of any kind of economic policy in favor of just appealing to social issues and cultural issues in order to uh, win the vote of certain demographics of people using, once again, bigoted talking points to marginalize them and their needs. And so I'm basically here to tell you this is nothing new. It's kind of surprising that they went as far as sexy M&Ms and pantsuit Minnie Mouse, but this is nothing new. Always harkening back to social outrage and cultural agreement that they're traditional values aren't being uh, broadcasted everywhere has always been the staple of conservatism in this country. Always. Just remember, it was conservatives who were complaining about social issues like um, Obama being a quote-unquote elitist because he asked for um, fancy mustard on one of his uh, food items because he didn't go with the plain Jane quote unquote plain Jane uh, yellow mustard he wanted some more fancy Dijon mustard that made him an elitist and not for the working class of Americans even though you can get the quote unquote fancy Dijon mustard for this, roughly the same price as yellow mustard but you know you got to make a social agreement out of it because you're a conservative and that's all you got for actual uh, talking points. And then let's not forget the tan suit gate because mustard gate wasn't enough or beer gate wasn't enough. They had to go towards uh, um, tan suit gate and uh, ridicule... uh, Um, Obama for 
stepping out of tradition when it came to how he dressed as president. How dare he wear a tan suit? Never mind the fact that uh, Reagan wore a whole bunch of tan suits during his time as presidency, but I don't remember conservatives ever complaining about that. Kind of funny, don't you think? So that is where conservatives' minds are right now, is they got to make some sort of social outrage out of every little thing that's going on. And all these talking points are just rehashing old talking points. You know, there was a... Uh, uh, just recently, there was a, uh, a, a Republican... Uh, I can't remember what state she was running in to, for a state Congress seat. But she basically went up there and said, Hey, you know... we're gonna, I'm going to make a, my platform around social issues and complain about the social and cultural agreement that conservatives have because our values are being canceled. Because how dare it, how dare liberals for making it no longer culturally or traditionally acceptable that we be allowed to ridicule trans people. And she went off on a story about how it's no longer acceptable for children in, in, in high school to belittle and berate trans people for being trans. Now, this is nothing new. This talking point is nothing new. Conservatives use it in previous generations to uh, belittle gay people. The 80s and 90s were prime, and early 2000s actually were a prime example of that. Um, before that, it was interracial relationships which to some extent can still be seen today. I've seen this personally in my life, being belittled and berated and verbally attacked by uh, um, conservatives for being in an interracial relationship and how it's bad and wrong. All the same talking points, by the way, that they now contribute to gay people and trans people equated to some sort of moral... Um, degradation and demonization of it. But nonetheless, it was a conservative talking point back in the day to demonize people who wanted to be in interracial relationships and even used it to legally prevent people from doing that. Let's not forget that, folks, that conservatives have a history of this kind of cultural nonsense where they think they should have the right to enforce their religious, religiously based ideology and impress it into law. And in this case, it was making it illegal for interracial marriage for decades up until the late 60s, early 70s. And along with that went the demonization and the moral outrage over interracial dating and relationships and marriage in general. Before that, it was... Well, after that, I should say, in the 90s, it was women being able to serve alongside men in the armed forces. And for having more rights and being seen as equals under the law when it comes to their position in this country, in this society, in this culture, as being equal to men. And before that, before those two things, it was them using these same talking points to demonize people of color and other racial, ethnic and religious minorities in this country. So, conservatives have a very long history of using this talking point, this this social outrage, this quote-unquote canceling of conservative ideology and values by the authoritarian fascist left or liberals or Democrats because they don't know the difference between them to where they just uh, demonize them all into one lumped 
topic uh, word and use it as a buzzword to hide the fact that they're the ones that are the actual fascists and authoritarians in this country. They made a big fuss about it last last year with Gonzo wearing a dress, despite the fact he's been wearing a dress since the 70s. And he's been openly talking about how he likes to wear dresses, just because he likes to wear dresses. Oh, well, let him wear dresses. You don't say a damn thing when... Uh, um, when uh, Scottish people wear uh, skirts, I'm sorry, kilts. There's a difference, right? Nope. Every definition I've found on every single um, dictionary has said that kilt is a female skirt. So, it's a skirt. So, if it's okay for Scottish people, men, to wear skirts or kilts, I guess it's a kilt because what? It's plaid? Whatever, I don't know, whatever. You know, it, it, it's, you know, splitting hairs at this point. But they make a big fuss about Gonzo wearing a, um, a skirt, a dress. So what? He's been doing it since the 70s. But these are also the same people who have been screaming cultural outrage about how dare their traditions be stampled, trampled on when in the 70s they were complaining that women were starting to wear pants, jean pants, and how that's quote-unquote not ladylike. It's cross-dressing. And they turned it into a cultural outrage then that women were being less ladylike and trying to be more like men because they were wearing jean pants and they wanted to play sports or be in politics and play uh, um, in, or play around with men in, in, in the business world and the sport of being in business. You know, women shouldn't be wearing, you know, pants suits looking like being all manly and trying to be a CEO or, or president or owner of a company. They should be doing the quote-unquote lady job, like being a secretary or getting the coffee for them, you know, and and how dare these woke, quote-unquote woke liberals sit there and come up with laws saying that uh, men can't sexually harass them in the workplace by slapping their ass and and uh, making all these uh, sexual innuendos about them at work. How dare they? Men will be men and women should be like women and just deal with it and live in the, you know live in the uh, in the house being a stay-at-home mom trophy wife you know how dare women aren't seen as nothing but sex objects to eye candy to, to to just hang off of a men man's arm when he's out in public you know that that's that's been the conservative narrative the talking point the the social aggrievement that conservatives have had for at least 50 years now and don't get me wrong, it's not just the Republicans. This was part of the Democrats, too, during that era. I was uh, listening to uh, somebody give a, a little talk about this this issue and about how the Democrats have been basically diet Republicans now for 50 years. And one of them that they were talking about was in the 76 and 80... Uh, um, campaigns for presidency or for the general election in general, one of the big complaints amongst Democrats, the conservatives branch still, of the Democrats was there's not enough, there, there's too much hair and not enough cigars in the Democratic Party. What they were saying is there's too many women and not enough manly men in here smoking cigars, doing backroom dealing in the Democratic Party. And we can see throughout the 80s and 90s how the Democrats, they they were fine being the, Demo- the, the Diet Republicans. And that's still true today. You know? So you see all these examples of Republicans complaining about how they're so agreed because conservative values are being silenced and canceled in our culture today. And yet, they've been doing it for, for decades now. Because they don't have any kind of economic policy to stand on. 
it's just more, you know, bail out the rich, give them all these tax breaks, give them all these tax subsidies, handouts, so that their capitalist, corporate, and plutocratic buddies can make more and more and more at the expense of the average American. We saw that in the 80s under Reagan. And the the same exact economic policies that they pushed back then were failing even during Reagan's regime in office. And yet they're still pushing this trickle-down, neoliberal Reaganomics, if you, if you will. This whole economic ideology, they've been playing it since the 80s, and it's, it hasn't worked then. Well, it worked for the top brass, you know, the all the top people in our country, the one percenters. But it hasn't been working for the 99% rest of us. And that's where we're at today, too. They're still pushing it. And they're still trying to make it look like it's working for everybody else. And it hasn't. And now it's just become painfully more obvious that it hasn't. And yet they're still doubling down, tripling down. At this point, I wouldn't be surprised if they're quadrupling or five times down on this talking point. And, you know, it's working. Because their base is just galvanized even more by it, you know? And what is the Democrats doing to counter it? Absolutely nothing. They're going along with it because their whole narrative is we got to get back to, to normal. But what, what they really mean by that is we need to get back to just getting people used to the new normal. Diet Republican, like I said. Liberals are conservative light. And the mainstream establishment Democrats are nothing but diet Republicans. And that's the direction that they've been taking the Democratic Party and the liberal political ideology, if you will, ever since they've come up with this overall strategy is to be nothing but diet Republicans. Their positions are conservative light. Just status quo will maintain that. But what we really mean is just be as incompetent as we can so that people just get used to the new normal. We will screech about how bad Republicans are and rightly so, because they are. And they'll use that as a talking point to get them elected and then when they get elected into office, they sit there and do nothing. And that is painfully obvious given the fact that they have not been able to actually do anything about the social issues that really do matter to people. Prime example is the voting rights. They have not been able to do jack shit about the voting rights issues that have been facing people of color and other demographics in this country since Republicans decided to go on a fascist binge on gutting and restricting people's rights to vote. Democrats have been doing nothing because they have conservative Democrats in their own party who are willing to side with Republicans to counter any kind of countermeasure put forth by Democrats who are part of the progressive wing. Cinema and Mansion are two big ones. But then you've got liberals like Pelosi and Schumer and all these other mainstream establishment Democrats who are quote-unquote moderate but are at all in all reality conservative as well. You know, they're all in favor of quote unquote free market capitalism. And that's what you're seeing them do. You know, yeah, just, you know. Who cares about social issues? Let's just let let the rich do what they want to do. And that's what's happening. They're doing it in regards to voting rights. Standing by and letting Cinema and Mansion and other quote-unquote moderates, a.k.a. conservatives in the Democratic Party, kind of run roughshod and 
demonstrate that the Democrats are diet Republican in nature and have a conservative light platform for the party. By the way, Cinema and Manchin have been shown to be in bed with lobbyists from not only corporations and special interest groups that support conservatives, aka big oil, coal, stuff like that, but they have also been receiving money donations from conservative think tanks and conservative groups that also fund Republicans. So that's who the Democrats are. They're diet Republicans taking money from openly conservative pro-Republican groups, PACs, whatever you want to call them. Basically, legalized bribery of our politicians. And what are they doing about it? Yeah, you know, handing, you know, sticking out their hand, wanting more and more money, pretending to be for the people, but in fact just being for the capitalist, rich-ass one-percenters. And, uh, you know, whatever. <laughs> That's their attitude. So, they're demonstrating, so Dem- Democrats are demonstrating that they can't do anything to protect social issues that actually matter, like the voting rights for millions of Americans because of the color of their skin or their ethnicity or their um, religion or any other demographic, you know, piece of data point that will affect them in politics. And on top of that, they're not doing a damn thing to help people with the infrastructure. Their whole thing was we got to we got to be the the new era, new deal Democrats. They toted Biden as being FDR like that he was going to help um, the Democrats usher in a new era of New Deal policies. And yet, once again, it's the quote-unquote moderate Democrats, the establishment conservatives, and free market capitalists like um, Pelosi and Schumer and Cinema and Manchin and all, the, and all these other, you know, right-wing uh, Democrats who are like, you know what? We're not going to do anything. We're just going to sit there and gut whatever the progressive wing has to offer for infrastructure. And then we're going to blame it on having to appeal to uh, Republicans. Because they won't accept whatever they push through. So they have to dumb it down because they want to... I mean, it's kind of like they're talking out of both sides of their mouth. They want to play nice with Republicans and so try to compromise and, and, and gut their infrastructure bills, but then they turn around and complain that they have to gut their infrastructure bills in order to appeal to Republicans or to the uh, moderate Democrats. Well, you know, either stand up and have a backbone or just, you know, leave the party and become a Republican. You might as well do that. I mean, Manchin's already flirted with the idea of just becoming a Republican anyway, so he might as well just go full bore Republican, you know, rather than just playing this... uh, Oh, I'm a quote-unquote moderate Democrat. No, dude, you're not. You're a conservative. So get with the conservative party if that's how you're going to be. You know? And then when it comes to economics, and this is a social, a social issue too, but, you know, progressives in the House and just in the Democratic Party in general was pushing forward this, this proposal, this bill, to make it illegal for politicians to be able to own and trade stock and and invest in the economy while they are in office. Why? Because it's a conflict of interest. They should not be allowed to buy and sell stock and invest in the economy when they have the, the control over the reins as to how that economy is supposed to run. The Democrats were able to win, in part, 
the state of Georgia and the two Senate seats because of this whole talking point. They were complaining about the, 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 the Democrat talking point in 2020 when it came to the state of Georgia was, look at Lefner, look at Purdue. They are insider trading using their positions in Congress to make money off of using the um, privileged information that they get from their seat to buy and sell and invest in the economy. That is illegal. It's against the Constitution. They should be in jail for doing that. And part of the Democrats' whole pitch in 2020 was, we're going to go after them, we're going to hold them accountable. That's why you need to vote Democrat and vote for Biden, because they're going to do that. They're going to cut out corruption in politics. And now, here we are with the in 2022 with that very bill coming up, and as moder- quote-unquote moderate Democrats, like Cinema and Manchin, who are turning that down, saying, no, we should have the right to be able to do that. And what did Pelosi say? Well, this is the free market capitalism at work. We need to st- we need to work with it. So, once again, the establishment mainstream Democrats, like Pelosi, like Schumer, like all of those big name um, people in the Democratic Party, are once again showing their true colors. The quote-unquote moderate branch of the uh, Democrats are establishment conservatives pushing for right-wing pro-capitalist hegemony between money and public service. And that's where the Democrats are at. Once again, demonstrating that they are diet Republicans. They're not doing anything to help us with infrastructure, to give us any kind of actual tax Alleviant for we the people. They're just going to help their corporate plutocratic donors and the one percent, just like the Republicans do. In fact, in the Chicago area, um, Mayor Lightfoot is discussing what she can do and what the city of Chicago can do to keep the Chicago Bears in the city of Chicago. What kind of tax breaks can we give them? What can we spend using taxpayer money to go towards maintaining and and upgrading or giving the Chicago Bears a new stadium? A private entity, a private corporation. That's what the Chicago Bears sports franchise is. They are a private, for-profit capitalist corporation and the big discussion about Democrats in the state of Illinois and more specifically the city of Chicago is what can we do in terms of giving them tax breaks and tax subsidies aka tax welfare or handouts to help them stay in Chicago whether that means building them a whole new stadium or renovating and upgrading and modernizing Soldier Field. I'm sorry, but why can't they spend the millions that they get as the Chicago Bears franchise on updating and renovating and modernizing their facility? And if they want a new stadium, why can't they build it themselves with their profits? Why does it have to be placed on the backs of the taxpayers? That's what happened in, in Detroit with the Detroit Red Wings. They're my favorite team. And this is the whole reason why I got out of following sports years ago. Was because when Illich Holdings, a multi-million, perhaps a multi-billion dollar company that owns um, the Detroit Red Wings, Little Caesars Pizza... And I think another sports team, I want to say like the Detroit Pistons or someone like that, when they went and wanted to build a new stadium for the Detroit Red Wings, they were able to get 
taxpayer funds to help build it to the sum of, I want to think, a third of the cost. Why? Do I get to go in there and watch a, a game for the Detroit Red Wings for free? That's my tax money when I was living there that went towards that. Even though the, the city of Detroit is bankrupt and Michigan is complaining about being low on funds, even though in like 2008 or 2009 or 2010... You know, just over a decade ago, they were complaining about uh, um, the state being nearly broke, even though, according to reports, about 25% of the state taxpayer funds went towards corporate subsidies. They basically just turned around and handed the corporations, the biggest corporations in Michigan, tax money from the taxpayers in the form of a check. It's just one big welfare handout. But then have the complaint, oh, where's all the money going? Oh, how are we going to survive? we got to cut taxes on the rich and the corporations. Got to get them to come back and reinvest in Michigan and bring back jobs, even though they're going to be low-paying jobs with, with horrible benefits that will keep people still in squander next to the poverty line. That's where we're at. And did the Democrats do anything about it? No, they're dire Republicans. You know, it's this austerity measures with a smile. You know, and that's where we're at. On the social issues, on the economic issues. And now, what kind of political uh, um, statement has their GOP made just recently here in, in, in the month of February. What's their great political policy that they wanted to put forth? They'll show Americans that they are for helping the average American. Well, they've gone full fascist and full domestic terrorist, white supremacist as their ideology. That is what the Republican Party is. They are a fascist pro-domestic, terrorist, white supremacist party, and that is what their platform is built on. They just got done making it official that the official GOP platform, the official GOP ideology is that the January 6th insurrection attempt was an official and a legitimate political protest and agreement or a way to display that agreement. They have now come out and said that trying to overthrow the U.S. government because it did not adhere to Trump's big lie, his various conspiracy theories, is legitimate enough to overthrow it because they did not get their way. Because conservatives lost the election fair and square, proven multiple times, and advocated by state and other uh, conservative, pro-Republican groups, because they didn't get their way, and didn't get Trump reinstated as their, their dictator, their fuhrer. They decided to throw a huge tantrum and try to um, stage a coup to overthrow a Democratic elected government. And they've now said as official GOP um, policy that that coup attempt on January 6th was a legitimate form of political protest and and statement of agreement. So if you are a Republican and you still are a Republican, you should be in jail along with every single politician in the Republican Party who has uh, signed on to this blatant display of fascism and authoritarianism. Because that's where your party has gone. And I've done in previous 
years, I, I've done a podcast, an episode where I lay it out point by point using different characteristics and bullet point um, behaviors from political scientists and historians and other people who have spent their life's work breaking down fascism for what it is as a socio-political and economic um, ideology. And the GOP and conservative values in general hits that at least 70% of the time. This is why I call conservatism diet fascism. It's it's fascism light. Alt light, if you will. Alt right. There's alt right and alt light. It's it's you know that's that's really where we're at with with this. You know, and and now the the Republicans are just being extremely blatant about being fascist because it's primarily a social and a cultural um, ideology that then will, will, will absorb in certain aspects of economics and politics based around traditional cultural and social issues from the past that they feel needs to be reinstituted. It's an extreme form of um, nostalgia for some sort of past utopian that we need to rediscover. And to do that, they have to find uh, the most vulgar ways to reimagine it. And that's the situation that we're in right now with the Republicans going further and further into dangerous ideology and Democrats just being incompetent and not being able to do anything because their whole thing is, hey, as long as we can make it look like we are standing in the way, then that's all that matters. They're not going to do anything to change the fascist policy that was put in place by Republicans and conservatives from years and decades past. No, they're just going to maintain it and set up as the new norm and make it look like, oh, because we're the new placeholders were fending off the country from falling to fascism when they're just, you know, they're just there to kind of be a placeholder until the Democrat or until the Democrats lose and the Republicans regain control. And that's exactly what happened in, in Italy and, uh, and Germany and even parts of the United States and other countries in the twenties and thirties a century ago. The liberals got into power and like, see, look at us. We're fending off the the uh, the swarm of fascism that is trying to infest our countries. When in fact they did absolutely nothing, and they were so incompetent that they galvanized people into becoming fascist, or at least accepting fascists and fascist ideology. Because, hey, in the conservative mind, they still agree on 60-70% of positions and so they're willing to work with them. That was how fascists got into power in Italy and Germany in the first place is that conservatives were willing to work with them to accomplish mutual goals and ignore the fascist goals that they didn't agree with or felt distasteful in some fashion. And they were able to do that, and then they were able to basically just say, well, you know, because of our distaste for liberals and their incompetence, we will just move further to the right and we'll start accepting those fascist principles. And that's what we're seeing now, today, in the 2020s, as we have seen in previous decades in this country, whenever there's been some sort of calamity that's happened, that things always shift to the right. That has always been the case in this country and in other countries. And that's why conservative values and ideology, as well as capitalist positions, have always 
been in favor of just shifting to fascism and accepting those sets of ideology because they know that they can strong arm it back to what they want. And so whenever there is a calamity, whether it's the Great Depression or some sort of cultural shift or a Great Recession or any other kind of economic, social, or or cultural issue that arises, whether it's legit or fabricated, they will use it to basically shift things further towards fascist ideology. And that's where we're at right now. We're seeing that right now play out with the Republicans and how they have chosen to react as a party and as a conservative ideology to what happened a year ago in January, as well as just general events and shifts in social, political, cultural, and economic situations over these last few years and decades. They can't handle the shifts. And so they will negatively and incorrectly apply and demonize issues that pop up, whether legit or fabricated issues. And they will place the blame on certain groups or demographics of people that they have always demonized and they will use it to justify becoming even more fascist in their reaction towards it. That's what you're seeing. Blaming it, uh, blaming what's going on and the, the, the destruction of Western values and uh, American values or conservative values on acceptance of trans people or gay people or um, acceptance of other people with other religious beliefs into this country or people with different ethnicities or races into this country. This is what they do all the time. They just try to wrap it up in some sort of neatly wrapped uh, pretty bow to make it more digestible by the American base. And it seems to be working because that's where they are able to shift things. And you're seeing that now displayed full full bore in the political discourse that is the Republican Party. And they've never been held account accountable for it. Nothing was done to Republicans when the whole thing with Nixon happened. Democrats went light on them and they saw that as justification to keep doing what they're doing, to misbehave, to further shift themselves to the right and become even more fascist. And that transitioned over to um, Reagan and he misbehaved and act like a criminal in a whole bunch of illegal ways. And the Democrats did nothing when he was out, when he uh, ended his term. Same thing with Bush. Nothing was done to them. When Bush, the lesser, came around and he did exactly the same thing, did Obama do anything? Did he? No. The Democrats under Obama did nothing once he took office and the Democrats had a slight uh, majority to where they could seek out the just and legal reparations against the uh, the Republicans for what they did. And then Trump came along every single step of the way when the Democrats or progressives or somebody should have put their foot down and properly um, held the Republicans accountable for their misbehavior. They've just shot themselves in the foot 
and let Republicans go, slap on the wrist. Oh, they'll learn. They'll learn. They'll they'll behave better next time. And it just gets keeps getting worse and worse and worse. And here we are now with the Republican Party that's full blown fascist. And it's only going to get worse, folks. It's only going to get worse. It is going to get worse. And the Democrats are doing nothing about it because they've got their own corporate and neoliberal capitalist agenda that coincides with conservatives and fascist ideology. So they're going to work with them, just like in Germany and Italy. Because it wasn't just the the conservatives who, who started working with the fascists to help give them power. It was the liberals too. It did take them a little bit longer to come around, but by the time the conservatives and the fascists kind of merged in Germany, the liberals went right along with them because they knew, you know what? I'd rather be part of the beast than be uh, uh, targeted by them. So instead of standing up, they went right along with them because they knew that, well, if I stand with them, and just kind of stomach what they do, hey, at least I won't get persecuted myself and become a target, even though they kind of were a target because liberals were hated back then as well um, and demonized just right along with progressives and, and uh, leftists. And so they just kind of masqueraded as conservatives and, and pro-fascists once uh, the powers that be in, in uh, fascist Germany and fascist Italy took, took control. And... Uh, here we are. So, it's just a repeat of history. That's all it is. A repeat of history. The liberals and the Democratic Party have learned nothing from this past history and are repeating the same thing again. And then lastly, before my timer cuts out on me, we've got a deja vu situation all over again. And that is 2016 and 2020 are repeating because now we've got a liberal judge who identifies as more liberal and was appointed by Democrats. He's now planning on stepping down from the Supreme Court and this is all going to be a repeat of 2020 and 2016. He's going to step down. I don't know why he couldn't step down last year. But he's going to step down now. And Republicans are going to turn this into a big social outcry. And once again, repeat their talking point from 2016. That Democrats should not be allowed to appoint the Supreme Court justice to replace him. Because they need to wait for the midterm elections to be over so that the people can decide who get put into place to confirm or deny the justice. Because even though the president makes the nomination, it's still up to Congress, a.k.a. the Senate, to affirm or reject that nominee. And so that's what's going to happen is Mitch McConnell and other big wigs in the conservative party, aka the GOP, are going to sit down and they're going to start ranting about how the Democrats are stepping out of line and they need to wait until after the midterms in 2023 to let the people decide which senators will get to make the decision whether or not the uh, president's nominee will be confirmed or denied. And here's the kicker, too. The Democrats are to blame as well because, once again, it's the same Democrats, these quote-unquote moderate, a.k.a. conservative Democrats, who are part of the establishment wing or the, the, the establishment majority of the Democratic Party, the Cinemas, the Mansions, the Pelosi's, the Schumer's, all of these quote-unquote moderate uh, or quote-unquote liberal Democrats 
who are pushing for moderate justices. And any time a progressive candidate comes up, someone who's going to be for stand up for progressive values and for the supporting and backing and being an advocate for working people, they balk at it and screech and squawk and then put forth the short list that is filled with nothing but pro-corporate, moderate, quote-unquote moderate, justices. And that's where the Democrats are at right now. We saw this under Obama. He had to put forth a quote-unquote moderate, a.k.a. conservative uh, um, nominee, a.k.a. Merrick Garland. He was a moderate... I call him... They call him moderate, but in my, he's, he's conservative. But he's a, he was a moderate justice, and he was a pro-corporate justice with the history of standing up and backing corporations and the capitalist class over standing up for the rights and protections of workers and people and the consumers in general. And now here we are, four years later, and the Democrats are doing the same exact thing. They want to make sure they play nice with the Republicans and put forth a moderate who's going to be pro-capitalist, pro-corporate on the Supreme Court and totally ignore, denigrate, and demonize progressives for putting forth a short list of their own that says, let's put um, justices on the Supreme Court who will espouse progressive ideologies and positions as well as be advocates and stand up for people. The average American, the worker, the consumer, and just we the people in general. And that's how the Democrats once again establish that they're going to lose. This is going to become a 7-2 in favor of right-wing, ultra-right-wing, I should say, far-right neoconservative fascist judges. 7-2. That's where it's going. I mean... It should be no surprise because one of the talking points that Biden said was that uh, if Republicans were going to be stonewalling everything and and, uh, delaying everything, that he was going to expand the Supreme Court and that he should expand the Supreme Court based off of the antics that the Republicans did in 2020 and 2016. But where is that? That was dead on arrival right when uh, Biden took office. He, he said, well, we're not going to advance, uh, expand the Supreme Court after all. We're going to leave it at 9 and just accept the, the 6-3 uh, Republican ultra-conservative uh, majority and demonstrate we don't have a backbone. And now here we are again, and they're putting forward a quote-unquote moderate, pro-corporate, um, elitist uh, jur- uh, justice who is going to just be cannon fodder for Republicans to push things even further to the right. And I think that the the, the conservatives will be able to successfully stonewall and block any kind of a justice nominee from getting on the bench this year. And I think they'll be able to possibly uphold it until sometime in 2023 to either force Democrats to put forth an uh, openly conservative Republican and even worse of a pro-capitalist, pro-corporate justice in 2023. And it would not even surprise me if they were able to push it off to where they could wait until 2025 and get a Republican president to put a nominee in place. So that's kind of my rant for the day, is Republicans have further shifted their craziness further to the right, 
into fascist nonsense and Democrats are too incompetent and too lazy and too much of a status quo to do anything but allow it to happen. I'd like to thank you for tuning into this rant brought to you by Jason of the Dixillion Mind. Have a good one.